How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, finished up the Book of Romans, and now we're moving our way through. We're into 1 Corinthians. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Book of 1 Corinthians. We're at chapter 1, and we're going to be taking a look at what's being said here. Now, in 1 Corinthians, we see it's a letter of the Apostle Paul to the church that is at Corinth. And he's going to be addressing some uh, uh, some issues that's going on there, just as, like, as we saw in uh, the letter of Paul to the Romans. This is the letter of Paul to the church of Corinth. Now, Paul went about many areas, many places, establishing churches, uh, leading revivals, people getting saved everywhere. And these churches that uh, Paul established, they're growing and growing. And as we see, which is quite often the case, um, then you give it time, we see problems start to come in. Now, why does this happen? How does this happen? Well, we are sinful beings and that uh, our flesh wars with our spirit and you, you cannot do the things you would as we saw said multiple times in the book of romans uh, paul explains this walks us through this helps us to understand this and that our souls are saved our flesh is not and that it can be issues of the flesh it can be uh, temptations and troubles and things like this that is brought in uh, by the enemy. It can be outward uh, persecution, opposition. It can be uh, wolves getting into the church. And we see uh, that can happen many times The Judaizers and others would, would come in. And because of this, there needs to be a constant, constant, constant revisiting of the basics and a constant, constant examining of ourselves, self-examination. So we're going to be going through uh, the letter of Paul to the church of Corinth, and we're going to see what is being said, how it's being said, why it's being said, and how we can apply it to ourselves for our own learning. So you see uh, interpretation and application and demonstration. Now we've talked about that many times about the how to go about studying the Bible, and we do many examples here of our Bible study series. Now, we use what is called the Berean method, off, built off of Acts 17, 11. Um, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And you break that down, and you see uh, what scripture teaches, and you uh, cr uh, cross-reference, pairing scripture with scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth, line upon line, precept upon precept. Um all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. None of the scriptures is open to personal interpretation. It's all given by God to the glory of God for our benefit to learn from, to understand, to see what God has said. What it says is what it means. If you don't like what scripture is saying, you got a problem with God. And that uh, some people, they try to dismiss certain parts of Scripture. They try to cherry pick, change, twist, all these kinds of things. Now, right off the first uh, first uh, bit here, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 
one. Well, Paul, it says here, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Now, we read that and we think we wouldn't think that much of it. But there's something interesting in this because we see later on in uh, the letter, uh, letter of Corinthians here, that Paul has to defend himself here in, in establishing his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, there are many people who start to believe that he is not an apostle, the questioning his authority as an apostle. Now, where would this come from? Well, a lot of that would be from like the Judaizers that would be following Paul that he would establish a church and teach the people and he'd move on to the next place and Judaizers would come in trying to drag the, the, the people back into law-keeping and disregarding the gospel of grace that Paul is preaching and thus saying that Paul is not an apostle. Well, if we take a look at what Jesus taught in the gospels, we take a look at what Peter and all the others taught as well, you see that the apostles, the, the 12 apostles, we're preaching the same thing as Jesus was. And then you take a look at what Paul is saying. It's the same thing. Paul, it, Paul's doctrines are the same. And you take a look at all the others. Paul is saying the same thing. Because we run into a bunch of other issues as well. If Paul is not an apostle and the Pauline epistles are not true, then God is a liar. And he wasn't able to preserve his word until all generations, like he said. And if his word is above his very name and his word is corrupted, then his name isn't that powerful. And then what else of scripture are we to call into question? And then God is the author of confusion. You see a lot of issues there. So we take a look at the doctrines that Paul is preaching and you take a look at what Jesus is preaching. Now we went through the letter of Romans and we, we saw this, that many a time Paul is basically repeating Jesus' messages, Jesus' doctrines. So Paul goes on to say, well, and it's also not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. And he keeps redirecting the focus back to Jesus Christ. If he was, an, if he was a false apostle, he'd be trying to get all the attention for himself. And it'd be all about him and be Paul-centric. But it's not. It's, it's a Pauline epistle. It's a letter of Paul that Paul introduced himself. But then again, he goes directly to Christ, directly to Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ taught. And again, we see Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And this also was established by the Apostolic Council in Jerusalem. That right after uh, his time there, uh, he met Christ on the Damascus Road and he was taught by Christ in the deserts of Arabia. He was uh, brought by Barnabas, was it? I think it was Barnabas who brought brought him to the Apostolic Council in Jerusalem where he introduced himself and they showed this and he was accepted into the apostleship. And we see the other apostles working with him and agreeing with him. And uh, we see his doctrines are uh, uh, justified by how they uh, correlate with all the other writers. All right, so with this, we're going to be using the Berean method. And again, we're going to be taking a look at what it says, how it says, and uh, why it's important for us. And we're also going to be using a, a system that uh, I personally call the clear interprets the unclear. I use this a lot. I've been going through, especially in, in our past uh, study in Romans. The clear interprets the unclear. What does that mean? If you have your pen and paper, write that down. Clear interprets unclear. 
Now, what this is, <clears throat> is when we go through the Bible, and you see where it clearly states, like, for example, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So clearly the Bible is flat out saying salvation is by grace. You can't argue with that. You can't argue with Ephesians 2. Well, but but this over here, but 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 that over there. The Bible clearly says, and God is not the author of confusion, it clearly says we're saved by grace through faith. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. But, but James chapter 2, <laughs> that would be considered unclear to some. So to help with an understanding of what a passage is saying, uh, we see, okay, where else in the word God does it talk about? And we see, okay, where does it clearly state it? And we see salvation by grace. And then we look back at James. Well, then the clear interprets the unclear by telling you what it's not saying. Obviously, then, James chapter 2 is not saying that works are required for salvation in any way, shape, or form. That James chapter 2 is not a salvationary passage. It's talking to Christians who are already saved, and it's talking about charity and Christian behavior for the purpose of promotion of the faith. So we do this uh, throughout the Word of God. The clear interprets the unclear. It helps us understand this by pairing Scripture with Scripture, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, and we see uh, what it says uh, and then how it's being said. We back up again, go over it slowly to see uh, the, the pictures and the images, the words, the meanings of the words. We look up the meanings of the words. It really helps us from time to time. And uh, we start to put all the pieces together to get the full picture. So the what of the narrative. And then we investigate it to see the what, uh, uh, the uh, the, what, what is uh, exactly going on, the specific words, uh, how it's being said, and all this stuff. And we investigate, and then we apply it to ourselves for application as well. So with this, we're going to dive into Corinthians. And if you got any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead and ask away. If it's not related to the topic at hand, please hold that to the end of the study. All right. <laughs> so the first epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. Now, what is an apostle? Can someone in the comments here tell me what exactly is an apostle? What defines someone as an apostle? What would uh, justify someone being called an apostle? Who, what is an apostle? Because you see many people today primarily on social media is the only place where they can kind of get away with it uh many people calling themselves apostles and prophets and everything else but according to the word of god what is an apostle 
And we see Paul kind of explains this, uh, what justifies him and validates him as such, uh, over in Galatians. He walks you through how he was called as an apostle. Um, again, yes, because we see this title is kind of abused today where every dog and his brother uh, calls themselves an apostle and a prophet. But according to the word of God, an apostle is an individual who has seen the risen Lord with their own eyes, has been taught by Christ face to face, not in visions and dreams and experiences, like actually face to face, but taught by Christ face to face, and been appointed by Christ as an apostle personally. So unless you're about 2,000 years old or Christ came again and we didn't know, you're not an apostle. You're not an apostle. You see a lot of people call themselves apostles because, well, they had a vision of Jesus and Jesus told them. They had a special revelation and all this other stuff, other kind of stuff. No, uh, that doesn't work. We see Paul talks about this, how he saw because Christ came and taught him in the wilderness uh, for three years in the deserts of Arabia. He was taught by Christ. He saw the risen Lord and Christ appointed him as such. He went to the apostles in Jerusalem and he uh, put forward all this stuff and the, and the Lord by the, his Holy Spirit moving through the apostles. They appointed him as such and accepted him into the apostleship. So it that's how it all works. So there are no more apostles today. And many call themselves such, but they are not. They they are in error. Now, we'll good. We'll we'll tackle the whole prophets thing later in in the study. But for now, we see the will of God, not by my will, how I think, I feel, my visions, my experiences, my revelations, my opinions, or any other stuff is un, is irrelevant. That 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 doesn't come into the context here. The will of God, what God says. A lot of people feel differently, but God says, but God says. So Paul here, introducing himself, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. So Paul is writing to them and he's greeting them. Paul and Sosthenes are greeting these individuals. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, not sanctified through their righteous works, not sanctified through their deeds, not sanctified because they do or keep or have or atone. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. As you see, it's, uh, through Jesus Christ, we are consecrated and sanctified. Our deeds don't sanctify us. You could go and do all the good stuff till the cows come home, and that achieves nothing. It's faith in Christ. We are justified by faith without works. Without works, as, as we studied in Romans. That are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And both to the Jews and the Greeks, as we see in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, all are one in Christ. Okay, now, called to be saints. Now, I'm just commenting on some things that come to mind in this 
because some crazy things that I have seen. I, I, I've lost count of how many people have actually uh, commented to me how they don't. Uh, uh, so how I uh, what, what do they say? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a Christian. I'm a believer in Jesus. And that they call themselves other titles and other things. And and Christian is a, is a is a man-made term and all this stuff. But we see in Acts how they were called Christians first to Antioch. Christian means Christ follower. And many people say, "Well, I'm a Baptist. I'm an I'm an Anglican. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a this. I'm a that." I'm cheating here, but you go ahead in chapter one. It says, "Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul?" Some say I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and I have Christ. Are we not all one under Christ? Christian means Christ follower, a follower of Jesus Christ. A saint is an individual who is born again, uh, saved, sealed by the Spirit of God, sin sins are washed away, you're cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. We see individuals in... Uh, in other religions like Catholicism and Orthodoxy, where they have their saints. They have their saints. And that according to the Roman Catholic cult, um, if I recall correctly, to be sainted by the Catholic Church, you have to have, by, by, your, by yourself, you had to have worked three miracles that are that are no, uh, noted by and accepted by uh, the Catholic hierarchy. That you yourself worked three actual miracles, and then you will be uh, appointed as a saint, and you get an, an immediate golden ticket straight to heaven. You bypass purgatory. <laughs> but according to the Word of God, who are saints? Saints are born-again Christians. I'm a saint. You're a saint. Everyone who believes in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, through belief alone, according to the word of God, is a saint of Jesus Christ. A saint is not a special higher individual with, uh, with, with special holy abilities, and they're, they're ultra-holy, ultra-special. No, that's, that's, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. <clears throat> a saint is a sinner saved by grace and dwelt by the spirit of the living God, saved by Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what a saint is. A saint is a born-again Christian. So you see how cults take titles, terms, words, uh, different doctrines, and they twist them. And they corrupt them. But if we just set aside all other things we don't need uh, the creeds and the commentaries and the councils and all that other stuff just put your arm on the table sweep all the other stuff onto the floor just take your bible what does it say the word of god says we say well our tradition and just as jesus says to the pharisees you teach for doctrines the traditions of men and people elevate church tradition. They elevate uh, religiosity. They, they elevate the creeds and the catechisms and the commentaries to, to deny the same level of scripture. That, that's a form of heresy. 
Were you saying that the traditions of men, the traditions of religiosity, and that, and that all, and other men's opinions and feelings are equivalent? That's heresy. The word of God stands alone, and the word of God dictates truth, not what you think and feel and what others are saying. So, the will of God. What is the will of God? Well, so-and-so says this in their book about that. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear book, chapter, verse of Scripture. I want to see Bible. The Word of God is our, our, own, our, our, our only final absolute authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith. It doesn't matter what anyone else says or does. So we see, okay, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess. For, the, for under heaven there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's Jesus Christ. It's the same Lord, same scripture, same faith, same message, same doctrines to anyone and everyone who will believe. To anyone and everyone who hears. And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they believe upon him whom they have not heard? So, verse 3, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Same message that Jesus taught. It's about grace and peace. It's not about law. It's not about, it's not about commandment keeping. It's about grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace that is shown unto every man. And peace, perfect peace, perfect peace. And that will keep him in perfect peace, his mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Well, the peace is given when you obey the commandments. No, the peace is given because you believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that the peace is not a, a merited favor. That you already have the favor of God because you believed on Jesus Christ. With all that in every place unto every man, unto, unto all the world, as Christ is the atonement for the sins of the whole world, not to just a special select chosen elect elitist cult thing, but to anyone and everyone who will believe. Unto every place, unto every man, that whosoever will believe, they will call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace and peace is given. Because you're saved by grace. And you're given the peace of Jesus Christ. The peace of salvation. The grace of salvation. The assurance of salvation. 1 John 5.13 That you may know that you have eternal life because you have believed. I thank my God always. Verse 4 I thank my God always on your behalf. For the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. So I, I thank the Lord for you. That you have believed. That you have seen. That you have heard. That you, that you have accepted this. That you have turned from your sins and believed on the name of the Son of God. That you have repented and believed on the gospel. I thank my God always on your behalf. So we see here also a remembrance of the saints. Keeping in mind the remembrance, praying for each other constantly. As we pray for each other, to uphold each other, to help each other, to edify, strengthen, bless. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Now, again, as we were talking about the, the differing opinions and feelings and cults and stuff, 
Jesus is not Michael the Archangel. Anyone who would tell you that, anyone who would try, try to even hint at that, has no idea what the Bible actually says. Jesus is not Michael the Archangel. Jesus is not just some lesser prophet. Jesus is not, is not uh, just some holy man. Jesus is not an individual who learned his abilities and, be, and became a, a Christ and that you also can become a Christ, a Christ type individual, the, the Christ consciousness movement. No, Jesus is the Christ the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful, the Counselor, the, the, the one whose ways have been of old, even of everlasting. Jesus is God, manifested in the flesh, the scripture teaches. So make sure we have the right gospel, that's by grace, the right Jesus, who is God, who saves by grace. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. We are enriched by Jesus Christ, not by our abilities, not by our wisdom, not, not by our knowledge, not by our strength. So in everything, in everything, as the Bible says, in everything give thanks. And everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God. That in everything, nothing's outside of this. We talked about this a, a fair bit, about how we go about our days and, and go about our lives in Christ mindfulness. Remembering the Lord and keeping the Lord in our minds, in our conversations, in our, uh, our hobbies, our jobs. Keep, uh, keeping remembrance of the Lord. Now we talk about the, uh, keep, keeping the remembrance table of the Lord, the communion table. But then there's keeping the remembrance of the Lord in deeds and works and outreaches and charity and ministry. In conversation and thought and practice. The remembrance of the Lord. That in everything. Now you notice... If you're reading, reading along your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we see in verse 5 here, you'll notice it's two words. It doesn't say, it's not one word, everything. This is different. It's two words. You notice? Every thing. This is more specific. This is more specific. That in every thing, this is more emphatic, really to build detail, to get your attention on this. That in every thing, doesn't matter what it is, thought, word, deed, the, uh, the hobby, interest, work life, home life, private life, conversations, anything and everything. And, and food and drink everything that in everything ye are enriched by him how 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 are we enriched by jesus christ in every thing give this some thought give us some thought in all utterance and in all knowledge in everything and in all utterance and in all knowledge 
Well, we see even in a cup of coffee. It's just a cup of coffee, right? But when I remember the Lord and think of the Lord, and I bring him into this, into communion with this, into conversation with this, I think about how he, he gave it. He allows me to have it. He's the one that put it together. He created the coffee bean. He put to, he made all the all the, the matter and molecules and all the stuff that come together with this. And I think about the power of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, and that the Lord made a pleasure. This is a pleasant thing. This is something that rejoices the heart. Makes you feel good. Not only just it wakes you up, but it tastes great. And that the Lord made that. He made flavor. The Lord made flavor. He made all good things. All pleasant things. And that it, it stops being just a cup of coffee and it becomes something more. It becomes something enriched by Jesus Christ. And that I thank him for it. I thank him for this. Just like you pray before your food. Why? Because that's what Christians do. Now, stop doing that. Pray because you are thankful. Not because it's what you're supposed to do. Now, I want you to pray because you're thankful. Because you honestly, honest to God, of the heart, are thankful. And, it, and the meal becomes enriched by blessing of Jesus Christ. Because you're actually being honest in this. You're being sincere. And you're being a, a true fellowship and right heart with him. In every thing so not just in everything but we see also in all all other things and in utterance speech your speech becomes enriched what did the lord say what did he say to moses i will be with your mouth and i will teach you what you will say we also see in uh john chapter 14 verse 26 how the, how the Lord Jesus says, my, my spirit, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, will be with you always and will cause you to be in remembrance of everything which I have told you. That he teaches you the doctrines. He teaches you the word of God. He instructs you. He opens your heart and mind to it. As we see over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can they can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So it takes the Spirit of God to understand the Word of God. And that your understanding of this and in your 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 teaching of the speaking of this is enriched, as we see in utterance and in knowledge. Your abilities of understanding the doctrines does not come by your own personal study but by gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Your mind, your knowledge is enriched by the Spirit of Christ, which dwells in the heart of every believer, Ephesians 3.17. So if you want to understand the Word of God better, you need to go to the author. You need to ask him and speak, and speak to him. You need to fellowship with him and dwell with him. You enrich your knowledge. You enrich your, your speech of it. You enrich your life by closeness with Christ, because you love him. If you love me, keep my commandments. So the enrichness of life doesn't come by like the Buddhist philosophy or the uh, the New Age philosophy. 
of just simplify everything and just love everything. No, that's not how you enrich. You don't enrich by achieving degrees and diplomas and all that other stuff. You don't enrich your life by, by philosophy and vain deceit. You enrich your life by Jesus Christ. By your understanding of Jesus Christ. By your love of Jesus Christ. By listening to what he's saying. Like Mary who sits at his feet. Martha, Martha, you are cumbered about much serving, but Mary has chosen the better part. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he says, just soaking it in, and thinking on this, and dwelling upon the word of God in everything that you do. In everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Now we see Paul is saying this to the Corinthians. Because as we see by Corinthians that they were a, a great and blessed group. They had achieved a lot in the Lord and, and they were known as, they were known as the church of spiritual gifts. That they had so many spiritual gifts and so many wonders and things that were going on of, of such, such blessing by the hand of God. They were greatly enriched, greatly enriched by this. But here's the thing. The enrichness, the enrichness of God does not occur without opposition. Because it, when the enemy sees where the hand of God is settling, they will come to try to ruin it. You draw attention. The closer you get to Christ, the more attention you draw of the enemy. The harder you swing the sword, the more champions of hell will be thrown at you. The, the, more, uh, the more noise you make on the battlefield and, and the uh, praises and declarations of God, the more the, the enemy will throw the hounds of hell at you. To try to corrupt, tempt, draw away, cause issues, oppressions and persecutions, all kinds of things will come in. So this is why we also got to be very careful. We got to enrich our defense and enrich our offense. We got to be very careful. Alright, so, as you see in verse 5, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ is confirmed in you, the testimony of Christ. So the testimony of Christ is what? What is the testimony of Christ? That's the gospel. That's the life of Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, the, the, the cross, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All, all that is about Jesus Christ is the testimony of Jesus Christ. The life testimony of Jesus Christ. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, that they held to this, they learned it, they memorized it, they taught it, they showed it, they shared it, they spoke of it, they, they loved it, they remembered it. The testimony of Christ is confirmed in you so that ye come behind in no gift. You, what he means by that is you are not like a lesser church because of all that you've done, you've really made yourself a, a great notoriety and, and your love of Jesus Christ, your work of the cross and your work of the faith. This is what he means, that you, that, that, uh, you are well known. You're not just some lesser backwater uh, little, uh, temp, uh, 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 little church so that you come behind in no gift. Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Patiently waiting. 
is that, that they're not fainting in prayer, that they're keeping the work and they're, they're keeping the good fight, fighting the good fight, keeping the faith, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful. So that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end. This is we see the promise of Christ that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us always, even unto the end of the world. Who, who, sh who shall also confirm you unto the end. Hold up. Pay attention to the specific words here. But what does it say in verse 8? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8. Who shall also confirm you? Jesus Christ shall also confirm you unto the end. Wait a minute. To confirm means to solidify, to hold, uh, to vindicate, to justify. So we see as Christ is our mediator, our advocate, our intercessor. He's the one who holds us, fights for us. He's the one that defends us. He's, he's the one that keeps us. Who shall also confirm you to keep, to hold, to guide, to guard. Who shall also confirm you unto the end. Christ confirms. Christ holds. Christ vindicates. Christ justifies. I don't confirm myself. You see, in individuals who believe that you could lose your salvation or have it taken away or that you could recant it, believe that the confirmation of your faith is in your own hands. But it's in Christ's hands. And he says, I will never let you go. I will never let you go. You're held in the hand of the Father and no man can pluck you out. That means you can't pluck yourself out either. Who shall also confirm you unto the end. Now this is the same church that's being blessed right now and later is being rebuked. As you see, there's great rebuke that's brought upon this church. Who shall also confirm you unto the end. That ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless. Servant of the Lord must be blameless. Well, how does that work? Because the Bible says, be ye holy as I am holy. How? Be perfect as he is perfect. But I can't. It's literally not possible. Some, there are some rather arrogant individuals, <laughs> prideful Pharisee types who say, well, well, I'm perfect. I don't sin. I'm sinless. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the amount of people that I personally come across who actually believe that they're sinless, that, that they're actually sinless. They don't sin and that they're perfect and holy. <laughs> I have great fun with those individuals. Saying you are sinless is saying that you could also be the atonement of all sin of the world. Just saying. But what does this mean here? To be blameless. How can I be blameless? To be holy as he is holy. To be perfect as he is perfect. How, how could I be? Well, here's the thing. As we are in the flesh, and I know that in the flesh dwelt no good thing, and, and that with the mind I serve the law of God, but the flesh I serve the law of sin. And that uh, even as Apostle Paul struggled with sin and all these things, he's the one that's writing these kinds of things here. How is Apostle Paul blameless and perfect and holy as, as the Lord is when he struggles with sin? 
Well, the first thing is to understand that we walk in the spirit, not the flesh. We pray in the spirit, not the flesh. We worship in spirit, not the flesh. And we and uh, that we live in the spirit, not the flesh. The flesh is corrupted. The spirit is not. So understanding that I'm born again, saved, and that there is now therefore no condemnation upon me. I cannot be condemned. So when the Lord Jesus Christ looks at me, he doesn't see me, he sees Jesus Christ. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed upon me, he doesn't see me. That my flesh is condemned to die, but as Jesus says, all those who believe in me shall never die. So we see that in scripture there, there is a separation, there's a division, there's a difference. There's a big difference between my flesh and my soul. I am not my flesh. I am not this matter. This is a suit that'll wear out. It's like you got a pair of socks. Your pair of socks, they wear out and they get holes. My dad is always joking about how he has socks older than me. Uh, that socks wear out, socks get holes, and that you throw them out, you're supposed to. You throw them out and you get new ones. Well, our body is a suit that wears out, and it will be disposed of. You are not your clothes. You are not your clothes. The flesh is the clothing of the soul. It will wear out, it will wither, and die, and you move on. As one preacher says, it says that we're like a peanut. That the shell is disposed of and the nut goes to be with the Lord. So we we see that the the blameless, the holy, the perfect is of spirit, not flesh. The flesh cannot be blameless, perfect, and holy. The flesh is flawed. The flesh is full of sin. The spirit is not. The spirit is not. You are not your flesh. I know that in my flesh dwelt no good thing. Why would Paul say about himself, the Apostle Paul, saying to the saints that in our flesh dwelt no good thing, but the Bible says that Jesus Christ lives in us. Wait a minute, is Paul making a contradiction, saying something weird here? Because the Bible says Jesus Christ is within us, but Paul says, I know that in me is no good thing. Paul's talking about the Spirit. When he talks about blameless and holy and perfect. Jesus Christ is talking about the spirit. Not the flesh. In my flesh. Know that in me. My flesh dwelleth no good thing. But in my spirit dwells the spirit of the living God. In my soul and spirit is the blood of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Jesus Christ, the salvation of Jesus Christ. And that in soul and spirit I'm saved, sealed, forgiven, bought free, made new, redeemed, held in the hand of the Father. My flesh is condemned to die. My flesh is no good thing. My flesh is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? Full, full, of, uh, full of all sin. My flesh is like a devil. That wars against my spirit, and I cannot do the things I would. 
My flesh hates the word of God. My flesh hates praying, hates church, hates righteousness. But my spirit and soul craves for the holiness of God, craves and longs and loves and the holiness and the and perfection of Christ and, and loves the blameless behavior and righteousness of Christ. We must remember the distinction. There's a great, great distinction. That Jesus Christ confirms my spirit. He confirms my spirit as blameless. Because my spirit is sinless. Because the sin is washed away from my spirit. It's not washed away from my flesh. My spirit is saved. My flesh is not. We shall confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we stand before the Lord on judgment day changed made new he looks upon you and he sees the righteousness of jesus christ we're clothed in the in the white robes of righteousness standing before the lord shining in the glory of christ name found written we are blameless before god but even though i sin your flesh is sinning your flesh is sinning and we just go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry for that. I know that it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Lord, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry I offended you for that. Please forgive me. And he says, I forgive you. He forgives us because we are his children. And I am blameless before, before the Lord because of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful. God is faithful. 1 John 1 9. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful even when we are not. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is faithful in that He's faithful to all His promises and that all who come to Him, He will no wise cast out. All those who come to the Lord, all, all those that seek me shall find me, the Lord says. And he's faithful in that promise. That all who call upon me, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's faithful in that promise. And that all sins will be forgiven. He's faithful in that promise. That whosoever, it's open to anyone, it's not limited. He's faithful in that promise. And that I will never let you go. I, I, will, I will never cast you away. He's faithful in that promise, even when we are not. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Lord. Lord of what? Now that's something interesting. We've been watching some old shows and, and uh, you're hearing old, old terms and things. And it's kind of interesting. We hear the word Lord, that where you hear about the old, uh, in the old English, you know, the Lords and the Dukes and all this stuff. A Lord is an individual who owned property you owned property you were the lord of that land that's where landlords came from you know you have uh, they have apartments and stuff and they own that they own the building and you rent from them they're the landlord they're the lords of that land jesus christ is lord of heaven and earth Jesus Christ is a landlord. 
He's the landlord. In my father's house are, 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 ma are many mansions, means rooms. And that, that he is the landlord who is giving us a room, a place to abide with him. This is interesting. You see the words and the means of the words and things. I, I, I like that. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our master, the one who owns everything. And we borrow from him. We're the caretakers. We're the servants of the land which he is Lord of. He is Lord of all things. He made all things. He holds all things. By him all things consist. That's an interesting one. I know we're rabbit trailing. By him all things that uh, consist. That means he literally holds it together. He holds everything together. It's quite curious when you look into uh astrophysics and all, all this other stuff out uh, and uh astronomy and you see everything that is out there in outer space and uh, how ast astronomers and the scientists talk about that it's some, there's something weird in the universe it's called dark matter dark in that you can't see it you can't touch it you can't measure it you can't affect it, but it's obvious that it's there, but it, but there's, you can't do anything with it, but you can tell that there is something there and that this dark matter they call interacts with absolutely everything in the universe and that this dark matter holds everything together for example how come atoms don't just blow apart because atoms repel from each other why don't they just blow apart what what holds atoms together we are made up of atoms this coffee cup is made up of atoms how come the coffee cup and me don't just meld into each other and how come how does this work how does matter work by him all things consist he holds everything together how'd we get on that i don't know okay so let's go back to verse nine god is faithful now how god works god sees god knows god holds god is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son jesus christ our lord verse 10 now i beseech you brethren beseech to plead so we see the introduction verses one to nine that's our introduction that's uh uh, uh, uh the greeting uh, the uh any uh for first important notes that are made and uh, and uh, the greeting and the blessing uh, showing the grace and the love of brethren to brethren that's verses one to nine now we get to the point of the letter this is why Paul is writing the Church of Corinth. This is the kind of the over theme of the, the, the letter of Corinthians. Pursue holiness. Pursue holiness is the theme of Corinthians. Verse 10. Now, now that he said the nice things, now we got to get to the hard stuff. Verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, 
I plead you, I beg of you, brethren. Now, brethren, are unsaved individuals called brethren? No. So it's interesting that there are certain doctrines, certain teachings in Scripture that showed where the, where the uh, Christian is to show Christians and not necessarily non-Christians that there is a difference. We are called out. We are separated. Just like, for example, I just want to say, um, if I can remember it. Yeah. You know the Sermon on the Mount? For example here, if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, could you, if you have your Bibles handy, could you please turn back to Matthew chapter 5? I want you to see something. you got to see it, okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now we see this is the, the beginning of Jesus' message we, we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is why it's so important to pay attention to the specific words. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, so the multitudes, all the people, all this multitude of people that are following him everywhere, the sea of people come to him. He sees the multitudes, he went up into the mountain, away from them, with his disciples. He went up with his disciples. His disciples came unto him. The disciples were with him, not the multitudes. You see, because this message is commonly misunderstood by many churches, by many Christians, and basically every single Jesus film that is ever made. All the different movies and shows about the life of Jesus always gets this wrong. And he opened his mouth, verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them who the disciples not the crowd not the multitude the sermon on the mount was this was a sermon for the disciples not the crowd not the multitude he taught them the disciples the sermon on the mount was for the disciples not the multitudes because what is it about what is the sermon on the mount about the behaviors, attitudes, the works and righteous works of saints. The Catholic Church and the cults teach that if to all unsaved individuals, unsaved people, if you would just do these things, you'll be accepted by God. No, this is for saints. This is for Christians. This is for brethren. Not the unsaved. They need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again. And then the Sermon on the Mount is applicable to them. Not before. Just saying. Specifics. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's pleading uh, by the authority of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, would you please listen to me? Is what Paul is saying. What? What is the issue, Paul? What's the issue? Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, 
but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Do you know what that interprets as? Denominationalism, clanism, clickism. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, I'm glad I'm on this side of the camera because having said that, I know there are numerous individuals who would want to burn me at the stake. But schisms and divisions and cliques and clans is unbiblical now i understand that there that nowadays that there is there is a point to it there is importance to it in that because when you hear for example for example when you hear anglican you know exactly what they are about when you hear lutheran you know exactly what they're about when you hear presbyterian or baptist or methodist you know exactly what they're about i get that i understand that and there, there are points and whatever to that but it's it's gone kind of too long it's gone too far that there isn't really much of a you know coming back from that but we can choose to not behave in that manner you see people uh, people preface the, the, themselves as christians with their clan titles some say i'm of calvin some say of Arminius. Some say I, I'm of this person. Some say they're of Augustine. Some say they're of that. We're not followers of men. We're not followers of men's uh, cliques and clans and divisions. We're not followers of people's own created uh, groups or whatever. We're followers of Jesus Christ. Like, for example, you're not a follower of me please you are not uh you're not a follower of me you're a follower of jesus christ you're a follower of the word of god but if we back up verse 10 let's go let's go a bit, a bit here in order by the name of our lord jesus christ you all speak the same thing because there are so many christians that don't say the same thing they don't agree on what the word of god flat out says now why would that be i'm about to cause a lot of problems <laughs> i'm about to cause a lot of problems here uh, 
I'm actually hesitating. I'm actually hesitating because I know when I'm saying these kinds of things that I'm, a lot of people are going to unsubscribe. But should we be afraid of saying the truth because some people might get offended? As one preacher says, you preach the truth whether it empties the room or fills it up. You got to chase away the goats and you got to clear out the dead wood. All right. Y'all speak the same thing. Now, the reason why there's so many Christians who don't say the same thing and don't agree on the word of God is because they are elevating the catechisms and creeds and commentaries and all this other stuff as equal to the word of God. Because they can't agree on other people's writings and they use these other writings to interpret the Bible. They literally change the meanings of words, they change the context, add to the word of God, and they change the very word of God to fit their own preconceptions. They change the very word of God to fit their clan's ideologies. They change the word of God to fit their own experiences, their own visions and feelings and opinions, and their own catechisms. That is heresy. When you change the word of God to fit your own uh, perceptions of what you think the word of God should say, what you think God is. That's what cults do. That's what cults do. Well, I feel, I think, they wrote, they said, they put, that our traditions, it's always been like this. speak the same thing how could how how could for example me and you how could me and you say the same thing bible says scripture says the word of god says Thus saith the Lord, this. We say the same thing by saying scripture. In every thing of scripture, you are enriched. Because what it says is what it means. And I don't interpret it as to what I think, I feel, I believe. Now look what he says. That there, are, that there be no divisions because they're refusing to say the same thing, it creates divisions, cliques and clans and denominations. The denomination of Paul, the denomination of Cephas, the denomination of Apollos. But it's the doctrines, the doctrines that unite us. It's the doctrines of scripture. Paul and Cephas and Apollos all agreed on the same doctrines of scripture. Now they may have come come with different uh, angles or different things and whatever, but the doctrines remain the same. The scripture remains the same. Not all denominations are the same because of practices. Practices are irrelevant. There are some denominations that say that you shouldn't have musical instruments in the sanctuary. And they preach that as doctrine. There are some denominations that say that 
that you can't be in the pulpit unless you're wearing a tie. Yeah. If you want to wear a tie, go ahead and wear a tie. I'll, I'll wear a tie sometimes, but I don't really like ties. It, they're constricting. I, I, they're uncomfortable. And I don't like wearing them. I'll wear it from time to time. Uh, but I just I don't like ties. But anyways, uh, there are some some denominations out there that dictate what you can and can't wear, can and can't say, can and can't do, and they preach your doctrines or traditions of men, much like Phariseeism. There are denominations out there, there are different groups and religions, whatever, where where the 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 guy who's supposed to be the pastor can't can't uh, stand in the sanctuary and preach to the people unless he's wearing a big fancy colorful dress like a woman. He calls call himself uh, father, but he dresses like mother. There's divisions, divisions and divisions and divisions because people can't agree on the same thing. It comes down to personal interpretation of the word of God. But what does the Bible say? Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. The same might not look perfectly joined together, perfectly joined together. What does the Bible say? Second Timothy chapter three nope first timothy nope i was in titus okay there we go second timothy chapter three verses 16 to 17 all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for proof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of god may be perfect perfect now you'll notice a lot of modern bible versions actually change that one to like thoroughly equipped that the men of god may be thoroughly equipped they remove the word perfect the word of god makes us perfect makes understanding per because the word of god is perfect not me my mind isn't perfect far from it my mind isn't perfect i'm not perfect the word of god is perfect but the word of god perfects our understanding perfects our walk because when we walk in it, it helps us to abstain from the lust of the flesh and helps us to pursue that which is righteousness. The word of God is perfect. The word of God perfects us. The word of God perfects us in all things. So the word of God helps us to be perfectly joined together. We are joined together in the perfect will of God by the perfect word of God, not our traditions and feelings of things. There are some denominations out there saying that you can't partake in the communion table unless you've been water baptized. Bible doesn't teach that. There are many out there saying you can't partake in the communion table unless you're actually signed members of a local church. Word of God doesn't say that. The teacher doctrines the traditions of men. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that y'all speak the same thing. Let there be no divisions among you. That, as the Bible says, to avoid contentions. Avoid contentions and strifes of words. That if there is going to be an issue, going to be a contention between you, you drop it. Let it go. What does the Bible say? The Bible says this. That's what it is. No if and what's or buts about it. What it says, what it means. And if you can't agree to that, you're, then you got a problem with God. 
Well, you're being strict. You're being a legalist. You're being a Pharisee. I rebuke that religious spirit. <laughs> Here people say all the time. Those are individuals who don't accept the word of God as final authority. They accept themselves and their feelings and their opinions and their catechisms and their creeds and their commentaries as authority and not the word of God. Well, I think, I feel, I believe, says the modern liberal hypocritical social justice warrior type Christian, a progressive Christian, and not a true born again Christian of the word of God. Be no divisions. Now, this is interesting. When we take a look at this and we see, okay, now how serious is this? How big of a problem is this? Is this a really big, serious flaw? Is this, some, is this something really that has a real high danger and threat to it? A judgment to it? Is this something that God would discipline severely? Causing divisions and sowing divisions? Well, when we take a look at what the Word of God says, that things that God hates. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Look at verse 16 to 19. These six things doth the Lord hate. Alright, now, hate is a strong word. What does it mean to hate something? We use this word quite often, quite flippantly. Like, my dad hates, uh, oh, what, are the, what are those called again? Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I hate jazz. Sorry about that. But uh, I did. I really, really, really dislike jazz. Um, but, but this is different when we take a look at hate, God's hate, when God hates something. This is more than just a dislike. This is more than just, I don't like it. This is more than just, I don't want this near me. This is now language where it is now the enemy of God. God's enemy. This is something that God opposes. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Abomination is, the, is a word that is defined as the closest to pure hatred that you could possibly get. Pure hatred. A proud look. A proud look. What's a proud look? Ah, oh, you've seen it. When individuals look at other people like, you're beneath me. I'm higher than you. I'm better than you. That kind of behavior. Like the Pharisees. That kind of thing. Where you would look down your nose at someone else because of something they're doing. God hates that. A lying tongue. Where you lie all the time. Where you, you tell lies. He hates lying it's the enemy of god 
hands that shed innocent blood. That's also interpreted as like abortion. God hates that. It's the enemy of God. That is something that enemies of God do. Shedding innocent blood. Putting to death uh, the people innocent uh, or uh, opposing, fighting against people that don't deserve it. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Thinking up scenarios, dreaming of, of abilities, creating things that are evil, wicked, darkness, force, sin, and violence, destruction, uh, the scenarios of immorality or whatever else. Wicked imagination, devising wicked imaginations. It's abomination to God. Feet that are swift and running to mischief, folly, foolishness, running, running after just that, that goofy, immature, foolish behavior. You run after that, you seek that out, and you love that, you live that, you act that out. God hates that. There's no there's no soundness, there's no maturity. That's not Christ-like. That's not what, what servants of the living God are like. That's not what the priests of the temple behave like. And there's nothing wrong with having fun. There's nothing wrong with, with laughing and telling jokes. But that shouldn't be your character and behavior. A false witness that speaketh lies. Now, false witness, these are individuals that would go to confess something about another individual, but they're exaggerating it, making it up, or lying. They're not speaking truth. A witness that doesn't speak truth. God hates that. Now, what's the last one? That God hates. That's an abomination to God. He that sows discord among brethren. In the same list as terrible, wicked, evil sins and things, as, as pride and lying and murder and wicked imaginations, sowing discord amongst brethren. You be perfectly joined together speak the same thing there be no divisions how how can we seek that because god absolutely hates and calls it abomination sowing discord divisions clicks clans how can we get away from that by not partaking in that I am not a denominational title. I am a born-again Christian, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not and will not take the title of denominational names, of denominational groups. I will not be a partaker in that which would sow discord of, of, of sowing a separation between me and other Christians all because of clan titles. 
if you believe in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, through belief alone, you're a born-again Christian. You're my brother and sister in Christ, regardless of denominational title. We don't partake in denominational titles. That way we can come together and speak the same thing, to be of the same mind. And we, we set aside practices, we set aside traditions, we set aside everything, and we, we, we come to the Word of God and critique everything, and we learn at the same time, of the same mind, of the same Word, of the same Spirit of God. And we see, what does the Bible say? And we do not elevate traditions here. We don't, do not stand upon ceremony here. We see, what does the Word of God say? What does Scripture say? That's what's important. All, of, all other books and writings and things are thrown out the window. I don't care about any of it. I care what this says. I don't care what Calvin says. I don't care what Augustine says. I don't care what Polycarp says. I don't care what any other writer, any other person, any other thing says. I don't care what MacArthur says. I don't care what Paul Washer says. I don't care what Charles Spurgeon says. I care what God says. I care what Scripture says. I care if the Bible says it. If the Bible says it that's what it is and if others agree with this great if they if they don't agree with this then they're wrong now other writings and other sources have their place if they line up with the word of god clear scripture scripture rightly divided we see what the bible says and if they change words change context change meanings then they're wrong they must be marked as wrong on those points. And other Christians need to be warned about that. Let me see, what does the Word of God say? This is my catechism. This is my commentary. This is my creed. This is my authority. Nothing else. I don't need anything else, and I don't want anything else. I don't need anyone else. I don't want anyone else. I want the Spirit of God. I want Jesus Christ and Him crucified, buried, risen again. I want the knowledge of the Word of God. I want this. I need this. I need Him, no one else. Others can help and they can be a comfort and an encouragement and edification. I can fellowship as long as they are lining up with this. And if they don't, I mark them as such and I warn others of them and I stick with this. This is how we can pursue holiness, pursue perfection, and pursue the right knowledge of the Word of God. It's when we start angling after other things. Is when we get all kinds of errors and flaws. We start falling into divisions. We're not speaking the same thing. We're not of the same mind. As we see here, they'd be perfectly joined together. Perfectly joined. Perfectly joined. I don't know how many of you are carpenters have done carpentry. You know when you get uh, two boards that are tongue and groove. And this one, it's it, it's carved in and you've got, uh, got a tongue. It's called a tongue. A piece of wood that sticks out on the edge. And this uh, this one over here, there's there's a, a groove that's cut in. Where the, where the tongue fits into the groove of the wood. Perfectly joined. And if you haven't measured it just right if you haven't cut them just perfect and the perfect measurement otherwise there's going to be gaps and it's going to be all wonky and it's not going to be right 
that won't fit that the tongue may be wider or thinner and it just it doesn't fit it doesn't dovetail properly perfectly joined is perfect measurement a perfect cut it's a, a perfect tongue perfect groove and it fits together just perfectly without flaw how can you and i be perfectly joined together of same heart same mind we must set aside everything that is of ourselves we must die to self we must we, we must submit the flesh with the affections and lust thereof we cannot come to each other thinking uh, that, uh, of our own preconceptions and feelings and opinions on things we have to come together with the bible with the word of god and we join together and the word of god is what unites us in heart and mind the word of god is our mediator the word of god is the is the one that makes it makes it all work together now i beseech you brethren by the name of our lord jesus christ that you all speak the same thing that there be no divisions but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment and the in the the in the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace as the bible says for it hath been declared unto me of you, brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe. Now, why would he mention this? This is someone rep, uh, reputable. Uh, a reputable source that Paul can trust. That the house of Chloe uh, reported to Paul that uh, of all the issues and problems going on in this church, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? You hear today a great movement where they want to unite all the Judeo Christian religions together back under Rome. <laughs> yeah, right. Um they say, well, why, why, why are you judging uh, the, the Catholics? Like, because on Instagram, I'll put up posts from time to time of anti-Catholicism, calling out the idolatry, calling out all the other, uh, the, the unbiblical things going on, all the heresies going on in Catholicism, showing how they're how it's not Christian, and Catholics come at me all the time, uh, uh, judging me and condemning me for for uh, for fighting against my fellow brethren uh well first off you're not my brethren catholicism is not christian and opposing catholicism is not dividing christ christ divided is when you take actual true born-again christians who believe in the Lord God Jesus Christ of Scripture by uh, by uh, uh, of salvation by grace through faith by belief alone, and you take born again Christians, you divide them up into groups and sects. But like we talked about before, you gotta know what is Christian and what is not. Catholicism is not Christian; it's a works-based system. 
it's a cult. Just like uh, Mormonism is not Christian, Jehovah's Witnesses is not Christian, Seventh-day Adventism is not Christian, Mennonite Amish is not Christian. We got to know what is Christian. The Church of Christ denomination, it's a group there that teach baptismal regeneration as salvation. That's not Christian. Though they call themselves Christian and they take our, uh, our titles and names and they try to use our language, they try to persuade us that they are, but they're not. Doctrine. Doctrine is what unites us. The doctrine of, of the deity of, of Christ and the doctrine of salvation by grace alone. By belief alone, by faith alone. Is Christ divided? So how can we know if someone's truly a born-again Christian? We investigate the doctrines of the gospel that they affirm. And if they affirm biblically, not just because they said a prayer, because they believe in Jesus, or because they, 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 they can state certain verses, but we want to see, okay, What's the confession of faith of the heart? What do they truly believe? Because I've come across people who say they believe in the deity of Christ and they believe they're saved by grace. But then you find out, well, they believe they could lose their salvation and that ultimately they believe that, that uh, their salvation is dependent upon their maintenance of works and righteous works. That's not Christian. Or people say, yes, we're saved by grace through faith alone and by getting baptized. That's not Christian. That's not Christian. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? Not just in doctrine. Not just in doctrine, but we can see division of Christ within the church. Because, well, you don't wear the kind of shirts that I like. But you don't uh, listen to the same kind of music that I think is right. Or we see dividing Christ, dividing up the family of God based upon personal uh, perceptions and feelings and opinions and practices and whatnot. I don't like this thing, so I'm not going to fellowship with you. You're dividing Christ. Is Christ divided? Well, you don't agree with with uh, with uh, with uh, hyper Calvinism, so I'm not going to have fellowship with you, even though you believe in the same gospel of salvation. You don't fellowship with others who are born again Christians. We we bring things in to divide up Christ to groups and clans and cliques. That is sin. That is sin. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? We see Paul calling them out on this. What's ultimately important? What's ultimately most important? Salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ and nothing of me. That my feelings, my opinions, my practices, what I hold to, what I have is irrelevant that if it's going to cause problems, I need to set it aside. And as we see in um, Romans chapter 14, hast thou faith? Have it unto thyself. What does he mean by that? Is you keep it to yourself. You keep it to yourself. If it's going to cause problems, keep it to yourself. Sowing discord, sowing division is abomination. Arguing and fighting about denominational distinctives is sin. That's what scripture says. So, how can we be really careful about this? How, how can we guard ourselves from these kinds of things? We're, we're, we're going to end it here.
as it goes on to another context and uh, um, another topic, I, I don't want to build, uh, bring too much into this. But uh, we see Christ divided. Now, Paul, as you see by the beginning of this letter, by the introduction, look look at his language here. He, now Paul is writing to a church that he doesn't agree with. He's telling them off. He's rebuking them. But look at his heart attitude, though. Can we tell off rebuke or discuss with individuals that we disagree with in a proper right manner? Because look at his language here of blessing and love and grace and joy at the beginning in the introduction, verses 1 to 9. Then he goes on to tell them off about, about how they're wrong, and we'll see more and more as we go along. That we can disagree with someone and still be in fellowship. We can disagree with individuals and still act like brothers and sisters in Christ. We can talk and not fight. Is it possible to talk about politics and being on, on polar positions and still behave like Christ-like Christians? Yeah. I set aside my feelings. I set aside my emotions. I set aside myself. I crucified the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. Jesus, God Almighty, came down and sat with sinners. Individuals who were enemies of God, heirs of hell, liars, drunkards, harlots, Pharisees. He sat with them, ate with them, drank with them in such a way that they wanted to sit with him. Let's not divide up Christ. Let's not divide up Christ. And if we see that there is a topic, an issue, a, a problem, a perception, something that, that would be a possible division, be a possible issue, just forget about it. Set it aside. Let it go. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to divide up Christ. As long as you are, in Christ, as long as you are truly born again, saved. So, here we see we're gonna we're gonna uh, wrap it there at verse thirteen. So, uh, is Christ divided? So, give this some thought. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study, please go ahead and ask away. We'd be glad to hear from you. So, that's the the first bit there, the introduction and the and the uh, first bit bit of the accusation. Uh, to the Church of Corinth. So please uh, uh, consider this, apply it to yourself. I hope this study has been a help, a comfort, and encouragement to you. If you appreciate these studies, please give this a like as a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell icons, and we put up new videos. And check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other content and uh, uh, debates and topics and discussions and all kinds of other goodies. So make sure you check that out. All right. So uh, let's go down through the comments here. Make sure I didn't miss anything. Uh, Force asks a question. Are there any uh, good books on prayer? Yes. E.M. Bounds. E. M. Bounds. Uh, E.M. Bounds has some of the greatest uh, writings that I've personally come across. Um, uh, there's uh, E.M. Bounds, uh, Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. Um, and I can't remember the title of the other one. There's a couple others that he did really good. Andrew Murray, Andrew Murray, uh, Ministry of Intercession. 
fantastic. I recommend those ones. So check those ones out. Check out E.M. Bounds and Andrew Murray. They got fantastic stuff on prayer. Um, okay, Rosalie says, like all the New Agers who say they are perfect, whole, and complete. Yeah, I was talking about individual comes with sinless. If you look at the world, how could anyone argue that people are sinless? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. People who do that, to me, they sound exactly like we see in in Scripture. Jesus talks about the uh, the Pharisee and the publican came in. The Pharisees, Lord, I thank thee that I am not like this publican. I do this. I do that. Who went down to their house justified? So yeah, you sound you sound like a legalistic Pharisee, one of, one of those types uh, when when you think that you're sinless. Yeah. Okay. All right, so okay, so there we go. So that's going to be our study this morning, our introduction to uh, the letter letter of uh, Corinthians. So it's the First Corinthians chapter one, verses one to uh, thirteen. So that's our study for today. So I hope that has been a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. Uh, again, make sure to give us a like and as well check out our website as we got tons of other goodies and things there as well. And you can contact contact us directly from there if you got any questions. And I'd be glad to hear from you. So there you go. So that's our study today. So thank you so much for joining in. God bless you, folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.